Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Just the Basics. I'm Tommy Bowles. I'm Mattistopheles. Stopheles. All right. Well, hey, we're keeping the B forty one a week. <laughs> we're talking philosophy. <laughs> we're talking philosophy. Oh gosh. <laughs> I guess we kind of are. So this is a kind of a one off episode. Last week we finished up our uh, music theory series. So this time we're going to do something. I, I, you know, I almost said something that I hate when people say on podcasts and YouTube channels. I hate when people say this week we're going to do something different. Well, of course it's something different. We didn't talk about this topic last week, so sorry for that. But I guess we're doing something different this week. <laughs> Jokes on you, people. We're talking about farm and dynamics again. <laughs> dun dun dun. <laughs> we're going even deeper. We're going to go through all of our points just again because it's very important that you learn these things. And then we're going to open up the music theory textbook and read it word for word, very slowly, like a boring audio It's our audition to get on to Audible. <laughs> But we're not going to publish our own book on Audible. We just want to read other people's in a very of boring way. I'm going to have my own version of Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, gosh. Is it going to be Game of Drum Thrones or just regular Thrones? I judge you harshly. <laughs> <laughs> I deserve it for that one. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, this week we're going to talk about think, what it's like being a quote-unquote pro player on a worship team. Uh, if you guys haven't noticed already, we come from a church background, both of us, and so we've played in a lot of worship teams. We're both currently playing in them. It's something that is very near and dear to our hearts, but also something that we've had to we've struggled with and had to learn a lot and grow up a little bit throughout the process of it. Mm-hmm. And it has it's not always easy, especially when you take music as seriously as we do to sit in those environments, but it's very important. And so uh, we've got eight points for you that will hopefully help you through that journey as well. Yeah. Uh, Back in uh, high school is when I started playing for church groups. If you go back all the way to episode one, I talk about that and how that's where I started. And when I went to college, I was a worship major and that was my plan until I decided that I cared more about going into the depths of learning about music and becoming a true professional performing musician instead of a worship minister in some way. So I've kind of gone through all of the steps that it took to get to the worship leadership side of things and deciding that that specifically wasn't for me and then focused completely on my playing for a long time. And I wasn't really playing in worship teams. I was all grumpy and judgmental about it and all stiffy in the nose and such. And nowadays I do play for my church's worship team and worship music isn't not my favorite. I've mentioned it before. It's not exactly what I enjoy playing in in any way whatsoever. So these are points that are not only to help you, but they really are kind of notes to myself as well. These are the things that I think about when I start to feel discouraged and bored of the worship music to get into the proper mindset. Right. Yeah. And I kind of, I get the same way sometimes. Like I remember one time, I can't remember what song we were playing, but there was a big old C sharp minor chord and the guitar player was playing like a little funk thing like a da 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 And I was like, oh, yes. And so I just <laughs> let this big fill rip and I was super excited about it. I thought I did the awesome thing. And uh, the worship leader looked at me afterwards. He was like, hey, just so you don't, don't play it so funky. We need to tone it down a little bit. And I'm like, what? You know, I, I like and that was the first time I remember being told that I was overplaying. And I was like, oh, gosh. And it really made me think a lot. And, you know, it really, I mean, I was I was young when that happened to me. I was probably a senior in high school, maybe mm. a junior. And so me being at that point of life where, you know, you're easily offended at that point of life, I was offended by it. And I shouldn't have been because mm-hmm. he didn't say it in a mean way. But it really made me do some thinking and some digging, and I didn't really want to play in worship teams anymore because I felt like that they wouldn't appreciate what I brought to the table. Not just because I thought I was better than them, because I certainly didn't think that. 
because there were some really skilled te- musicians on the team. But as far as the type of stuff that I liked, I was like, man, this, you know, this may be not for me. And then sure yeah. enough, I go to Liberty and I start out as a worship major at Liberty because, well, what Everyone else do did. you do at Liberty, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be a jazz studies major, but Liberty had told me that they were going to have that program within the next uh, two years. And I went there hoping that they were telling me the truth. Turned out they were, but I probably should not. It's not something I would really recommend that you do. Yeah, because I saw, I learned more about how schools and that sort of thing work when I got there and I realized that was a big risk that I probably should not have taken. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But anyways, it all paid off in the end for me. So everything that we say in this episode, we're not trying to be harsh on anybody and Mm -hmm. we're trying to be gentle as we say it because these are not, like Matt said, it's not just for people that we think need it because you know you point a finger you got three fingers pointing back at you you know that whole saying this is speaking to us probably more so than speaking to you because both of us coming through the jazz studies and that realm of things we probably deal with this the the pride issue as a musician more than a lot of people do right we already are in a realm that is it's all about for lack of a better term dying out so we're kind of desperately uh, struggling for air in our realm in the first place, even though when we are playing in a worship setting, which you could say is more popular than jazz music is right now, we're taking a major step down in almost every musical regard. Um, and that that's one of the reasons that it's, it creates a big old egotistical complex in your own mind because in one area you're playing what the people like, but you know, kind of like Tommy said, that you bring a lot more to the table that no one there is necessarily ever going to hear. And right. And if they heard it, it they it might can, not appreciate it. Right, exactly. They might be offended by it. And then you're like, but this is good music. This is what I can really do. And they're like, no, it's not. I want that good old simple one, four, six, five progressions. Mm-hmm. And that's what they want to hear. And that's what they care about. So, uh, like I said, these are points though. for ourselves and, uh, for anyone that's going into worship team. Cause I think that as much as this is directed toward trained musicians that are playing down for lack of a better term, it also applies to those of you that might be entering into a worship team and think that you play pro. These still right. can help you. It gives you the correct mindset for as you grow as a worship musician. And it can really help because you might not play where we are right now necessarily, but you might have a similar mindset, the same kind of ego complex of knowing <laughs> that you your, your music tastes are above the level that is required for worship music and you wish you could apply that but you can't and blah 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 and everyone around you doesn't understand that things like that so as you grow these will help you to be able to fit into that more without all the drama that comes with being a jerk about it (laughs) right right yeah you know it's it's a little bit of a challenge but let's go ahead and get into the list so i'll start We'll go everyone, other one, Matt. I'll do the first one, and then you can do that after okay. that. So the n- the point number eight is pay attention to the lyrics. Now, Matt wrote a nice little blurb about this. I'll just say from my experience, this is vital because yes. I tend to. I mean, if you get nothing else on this list, well, this is probably the one of the, this probably might be the second most important point on this list. I mean, this is you know, I. Coming from a jazz background, and Matt, I know you 100% will relate with me on this. I don't care about the words of songs for the most part mm-hmm. because we're not listening to lyrics all the time. Now, when we do, they are important. Well, I mean, like take the A train is really the lyrics really aren't that important or it don't mean a thing if it ain't got a swing. That really doesn't mean anything. Now, some of them like I love you for sentimental reasons. That one, the lyrics are very important for and stuff like that. But Typically, Most jazz lyrics are pretty stupid. Yeah, a lot of them are really dumb. 
Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's just like it's ripped out of a musical or something. And it's just what the words are. And you sing it without paying two licks of <laughs> what the words actually are. You're just singing it and the song. It's about the music in that in that case. Yeah, exactly. And, you sing um, some real silly stuff. My Funny Valentine is real weird. <laughs> it is. It is really weird. But the thing is with worship music is the lyrics are what makes the song. You know, if if you don't have the lyrics, the song doesn't mean anything. Because the whole point is to sing, you're singing a song of praise or of worship. And, you know, you're not really, if you don't have the words there, it doesn't really mean the same mm-hmm. thing, especially when you're talking about congregational stuff. Now, as a musician, when I'm on stage, you know, one of the other points down the list will make more sense for this. But, you know, it's when I'm on stage, I don't have to focus on them as much as when, like when I'm playing my bass when it's in my hands. But the thing is, if I don't stay focused on the lyrics, I forget why I'm there. Mm-hmm. And I get focused on the musicality of it. Like, oh, the drummer just skipped a beat and turned the beat around here. Well, how do I fix this? Or, you know, ah, oh, that wasn't the best note to sing in the harmony there. You probably should have done this note instead or whatever. And you lose focus of things and you just, it gets all about you instead of what you're actually supposed to be focusing on. And then the other thing, and Matt writes this in his blog post that's going to go with this, is that it helps you get over the fact that your chord progressions are super, super simple because then you realize why they're super simple. They have a purpose. You're mm-hmm. going one six four five one or one four five six or whatever it is, repeated over and over again for a reason. And that's because the music is not the important part here. It's the words. It's what you're trying to say in your song that really makes it. So if you spend too much time thinking about what note you're going to play or what chord it is and everything, it's kind of defeats the purpose of it. Right. And the, the lyrical context can help you creatively. Sometimes a song will literally build in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. So uh, say You're Beautiful by Phil Wickham. It's a pretty song. It's sung like a hymn, meaning it's, well, like form last week, it's hymn form. So A, 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 A. It just goes right down <laughs> the line. And the lyrics literally intensify as the song goes on. Right. So do the dynamics. And mm-hmm. so you can connect create creatively to the lyrics and the context of what that might be for the pastor's sermon and how the worship leader is leading the congregation. And musically, it might not do much of anything, but if you take the context of what is being sung, it can charge the creativity of what you're playing and you can connect to it a little better which will make it a better experience for you if you just are kind of, you know, bored of there not really being much musically. And part of what I wrote about uh, for the blog side of things is comparing it to when my students who are a lot of a lot of little kids, they will write a song, quote unquote, and by any critical standard, they're terrible. They're not good. They don't make any sense. They are random notes. There's no form to be spoken of. It, it's technically not good. But when I'm supportive of it and treat it as that they've done something awesome, that uh, I tell them about what they're doing with it and challenge them in different ways, they are so excited and proud of what they've made even if it sounds bad. Mm-hmm. And so they'll play it with pride that it's their song. And it's all about the mindset and the context of what you're doing. So in the case of the worship songs, if you think about the context of the lyrics, it can help a lot of the time. Unfortunately, not every song is written very well. There's a lot of songs that have very boring lyrics that were not very well inspired when they were written. And that is an issue for worship music in general, but that's besides the point. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hymns and contemporary songs that were written with inspiration and do have thought out messages within them for a worship context. So I understand that if your church is only has a license for the most boring set 
of songs on the planet that just say, Jesus, I love you in 50 different ways every Sunday, that you're probably getting sick of that. And that's something to take up with your worship leader about bringing in a more extensive library. Because there are songs out there that this does work. And it's something that the worship leader themselves, or you, if you are the worship leader, needs to think about. What words and messages are you bringing to the table with your sets? Mm -hmm. Not the music. Not like, is it a cool song? Does it sound good? Is there a guitar solo? No. What are the words? What are we singing about? Right. Yeah, because that's ultimately all that matters in these songs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So number seven. Get to know your team. Every single stinking member, no matter who they are, from the lead guitar player down to the sound guy, the the one that only appears every couple of months to run the soundboard for barely any effort or something. Just meet them all. I'm terrible at this because I'm the most introverted person on the planet, and this is a part of this whole thing that I really actually need to get better at, but... If you don't know who you're playing with and just kind of write them off as volunteers or anything like that, how do you know that they're not necessarily in the exact same situation and are just uninspired and not putting forth the effort that they really can? Maybe you have a singer that is a really good singer, but isn't really putting that much into it because it's way too easy for them anyway. And they don't, they have the exact same mindset of no one here knows what they're doing. So I'll, I'll, I'll sing along, but that's it. But if you talk to them and figure it out, their background and where they come from and their experience, you'll learn suddenly, oh, you've sung opera for 20 years. Wow. That's cool. You really know what you're doing. And suddenly you've instantly, boom, you've made a new musical friend that you can communicate with, and then you talk to the next person, the drummer, and you can tell very clearly that this is the first time they've drum, drummed, drummed, and you learn that why, why they're drumming, what they're interested in, who they listen to, and it can really inspire them that you are not just being like, well, they suck, so I'm not talking to them. Right. Well, the other thing too about that is, you know, a, a big part of church is the fellowship you get with other people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you, let's say, like like at my church, for example, we have a Thursday night practice and then we have call time at um, 7.30, uh, 7 o'clock, 7 or 7.30, I can't remember, on Sundays. So we go to that rehearsal and we're there for an hour, then we go home and we get there super early in the morning on Sunday we play and then, you know, everybody goes home. Well, when you're the weeks that you're playing, it's really hard to just sit down and talk to people because mm-hmm. you got a million things on your mind. You're, you know, is, is my guitar tuned up? Are my, my headphones working? Do I know what song is next? You know, when do I need to be ready to go up? And unless you fellowship with the other people that are, are also playing music with you, it's it can be really hard. Uh, the other thing to think about, too, is that you automatically have something in common with these people. So mm-hmm. it's not hard to break the ice. You yeah. say, oh, hey, nice guitar. Hey, ice broken. Now you have a friend. You know, it's it's really important, and it makes your team a lot better, especially if it's a small church. Uh, but big churches, too, it's good to have a couple friends there. Otherwise, right. you just get... It, you know, you, you can't do life alone, and church is the best way to find, in my opinion, church is the best way to find people that think similar to you, that believe similar things to you, that you can actually relate to and ha- have as lifelong friends to help you get to where you want to be in life. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that can instantly spark a relationship and a friendship, even for someone that might be quieter, like like me, if you were on the same team as me, and thought that I was just a grump or something is if you hear them play something interesting or cool or whatever, even if it's really simple, it's not that 
much or anything. It's not some big solo, but just something that you noticed. Mm-hmm. Mention it. Mention it. Say that, hey, good job with that. That sounded really cool. Uh, nice, whatever it might be. Um, people, especially in the creative realm, they will treasure that for days that you complimented, you noticed that little thing and complimented it, even if they didn't mean to do it necessarily. They will remember that mm-hmm. and they'll re- they will connect you with someone that heard what they are doing and appreciated it. And I'm not saying this as like a a scheme of getting everyone on your good side or something. I'm saying it as a way to break the ice with someone and encourage them, especially someone right. that's more shy. Because they they need that. They probably feel like the sound guy is turning them down so that no one can actually hear them. And sometimes it is true. Sometimes <laughs> that's true. Sometimes it is. And, and sometimes that's the place that person needs to be. And not right. that they need to be silenced. That it's for their own spiritual good. That they're in the team. That they're participating even if no one can actually hear them. Right, because exactly. they they don't have the actual talent, and if people could hear them, everything would fall apart. So it might sound really brutal, but it sometimes really is for the best of that person. That that right. is what they need to worship. So getting to know your team because you are a team of worship leaders, not just the worship leader. You all are worship leaders to whatever extent you participate. It's very important that you really right. are a team and that you play together and that you enjoy each other's company. And here's the brutal point of this one. If you really are this pro musician that is so bored with this worship music because it's too easy, that gives you zero excuses not to socialize with the people around you because that means you don't need that time to set up and be worrying right. about the what is in the music and what's the set, what order it is. All those things, now you're just making excuses that in the first place with having your bad attitude, you contradict yourself. So if it really is that easy for you, then maybe spend a little bit of time not worrying about those things and talking to the people around you and enjoying yourself with them and letting right. the music be easy. Just let it be easy. It's going to be easy. Let it be that yeah. way. You're making and, it harder yeah, for yourself I with mean, a bad attitude. Yeah, like worship music is intentionally easier than other styles. It's, I mean, if you really think that these guys like, um, if you really think these guys like a Lincoln Brewster or Chris Tomlin can't play better than what they do on the records, you're crazy. Because I guarantee, I mean, they've been doing this their whole lives. I guarantee they can hit notes and they can play stuff that you wouldn't have guessed that they could do. Probably. But they yeah. don't do uh, it for Brewster. a reason. But yeah, especially Lincoln Brewster. But um, even a guy like a Chris Tomlin, I bet you he, I bet you he's a lot more skilled than some of his albums sound like. Probably Just because how do you how do you do it for that long and not get a higher level of skill than that? And mm-hmm. it's not because and he doesn't keep things simple on his records just because he he has to, but because that's the desire you're going for. Because it's not just about the individual; it's about the group being able to worship together. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, number six then is uh, similar to that. So it's, we call this one speak their language. What we mean by this one is, remember we were talking about, you know, why is music theory important? Being able to communicate with the rest of your band. Well, this is kind of what we're talking about here. So you don't want to just go in assuming everybody knows everything that you do, especially if you're some college level guy with a master's in music theory. You don't want to just talk as if everybody has that same level of skill and knowledge. You also don't want to talk down to people either. So part of getting to know your team is understanding, okay, how do I communicate with these people in a way that actually makes sense about the music side of things? And mm-hmm. you don't want to act like you're better than them because you know something that they don't. Because at one point you didn't know what everybody else knows. And I feel like what we're doing a lot of this is we're talking as if there's some really skilled guy and then nobody else knows what they're talking about, which is not always the case, but True. you know, it's, it's commonly the case, but not always. So even if it's not the case and you have other people that are super skilled and know all that, all the stuff that you do, make sure that you are using, taking advantage of that too. So if you all know how to talk form and how to talk theory and you know what the dominant seven sharp nine chord is and how you want to use it, 
Well, then make sure you're taking advantage of that so you can really have something special to to present to the Lord and to share with the congregation. Right. You can you can use the theory ter- terminology, like all that we've talked about for several weeks now. You can integrate this into this context, and you should because now you can understand it. And it will help you in all forms of music, including this, the simplest music that pretty much is. And when you decide to speak in this language, if you don't simplify it to someone that doesn't understand this, that didn't listen to our episodes, that didn't have a theory class, that never actually took lessons, they just self-taught themselves on the piano to play triads, then you're just talking way over their head and you're just wasting time, frankly. That's all you're doing is you're wasting right. time and you're speaking Japanese to someone that speaks, speaks only English and knows nothing of what you're saying. So instead of wasting that time, find a way to dumb it down or keep your mouth shut pretty much. If you can't <laughs> say something that they understand, then just shut up. It doesn't matter that much. It really I doesn't. I learned that when I was in kindergarten. <laughs> right. Right. If you can't say something nice, say nothing. Don't say anything <laughs> at all. And that really does apply to this. If the, if you don't make any sense to them, then why bother saying it at all? Don't, and you don't have to get frustrated by this. So if you don't know how to teach them this thing, and always remember, does it matter that they understand this? Are, like, are you trying right. to teach them about extensions when the song doesn't even have them because you wanted to show off your knowledge about harmony? Because if that's the case, you're the butthead. <laughs> you're the one that's just wasting people's time just trying to show off and there's no reason for you to be speaking and please just shut up and play. And the, Come on. You have to say things in a way that people will be able to make sense of it and that you are a team player, that you support other people. And if you're the worship leader and you understand music theory, then I feel you do have a level of responsibility to educate people that come through, like the volunteers that come through. You can teach them about this stuff and you can even preface when they join that they'll, they will learn when they're in the worship team. That's an awesome thing to do. A lot of the time, a worship team only ever serves the purpose of leading the worship in the church service. But you can also have it be slightly educational where bit by bit, you just give little tidbits to your team and they learn more and more about music, which will only increase the efficiency of rehearsals. It'll take Mm -hmm. things to the next level. It'll make it it will seriously cut down on the time of your rehearsals because you won't have to talk so much. So it's only a great idea. I've got a great idea. They should just send them our podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if your worship leader doesn't know what you're saying when you talk about a dominant seven for some reason, then send him our podcast. There you go. And then he Problem can send the, he or she can send that podcast to everyone else in your in your team. Now you all speak the same language. <laughs> Ta da! Now you all know Japanese. <laughs> oh gosh. So moving on to our next point here. Um Never, ever, 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 ever point fingers. And uh, no, I don't actually mean don't point fingers at people. I mean, we learned in preschool that that's rude, but um, who cares about that? What I mean is don't start playing the blame game and talking behind people's backs and things like that. Basically, uh, especially during a rehearsal or things like that, actually calling people out for their mistakes or what you perceive as their mistakes and acting like a know-it-all and talking people down, that destroys literally everything about it. It destroys the team, it destroys the music, it destroys everyone's attitude, and it destroys the whole purpose of the thing, which is worship. And Mm -hmm. why does it matter so much if someone is making a little mistake when that's not really the whole point of things? Of course, if they're throwing the whole train off, there's a way to patiently work with somebody to fix things that are going wrong. And that's what a rehearsal is for. Right. But I have encountered people that they are perfectionists from the first time something is played and 
they do nothing with their own playing. And unfortunately, the people that I am remembering don't exactly hold their own. And it's more right. so that they just want to point fingers at what other people are doing wrong. That in reality, it's their own playing that's messing people up. Right. And, I can see that. And like we said, when you're pointing a finger, you got a bunch pointing back at you. So what the, the way I think is best to handle this is to think about what you were doing. What is messing them up? Is it what is the mistake? What might be messing them up? And is it you? Is it something else that's messing yeah. them up that can be fixed? Is it really their mistake or is it could something it be, else? Yeah, could it be a problem with the in-ear monitors? Do they not have the click loud enough if you guys are using click tracks? Or, you know, is it is somebody playing a, a fill in the wrong spot that's making it sound like the the entrance isn't there? Right. Or whatever. Uh, basically yeah, don't like treat found, mistakes as mistakes don't right, exactly. don't it's treat them like, like they did something wrong yeah it, a mistake is simply a mistake it's not like you're purposely trying to mess everybody up and you got to understand that now thankfully i've never experienced firsthand anybody in the group pointing fingers and accusing each other of anything in person uh, i know i have dealt with my own attitude issues in private where i've been grumbly and complaining about, oh, they did this, and it was so messed up, and that wasn't right, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And I've dealt with that person on a personal level, but I've never seen it in an actual whole group. So thankfully, that's you know been something I haven't had to deal with. But I know it happens, and it's just something... It, it What it comes down to is a pride issue. You don't want to... Nobody wants to admit that they could be the one that's wrong, so they want to accuse everybody else of every little thing Instead of just being like, okay, look, it happened. Let's figure it out. Let's move forward. We'll solve the problem and never mm-hmm. never worry about it again. Yeah. And this it's, is definitely you know, an issue for those of us that have training and are speaking to volunteers or just people without training that are passionate about it and talking down to them. That You never want right. to talk down. Always talk up. Always treat people yeah. like kind of like they're above you, even if they're not. Like I always talk to my students like they are amazing. Right. They are well, years and like, years and years away from catching up to me. But I treat them like they are doing amazing things because they are. They're learning about music. Right. It's just like the way that you talk to your spouse. You know, you don't want to ever tell your spouse that she is a terrible person because she made this mistake and it's horrible. You want to be like, well, hey, honey, I know this this happened. This is how I felt about it. Let's move on. You know, if you talk about it from how you felt instead of instead of saying you did this wrong, say I felt like that might not have been quite right. Why don't we try this instead? You might be in your mind. You might be saying you did this wrong, but externally you're not, and you can kind of smooth things over, and you can get better results without blowing the whole thing up. Yeah. Anytime you correct a mistake, try to focus a lot on how to do it properly instead of what they did wrong. Exactly. And when you explain it, don't say like, you did this and that's wrong, you dumb dumb. Do it this way. No, no, no. Just say that, hey, I think I heard this here and we should probably do this. It'll make it easier on yourself. That's my, Mm -hmm. that is my coin term. As a teacher, as a band member, you're making it too hard on yourself. Because yeah, a lot exactly. of the time a mistake is somebody that isn't interpreting a spot properly and they're making and they are literally making it too hard on themselves. And it's much easier to do it the right way. So uh, that is usually what I say is like you're making this tricky on yourself. Right. Here, make it easy <laughs> this way. Whether it's a guitar fingering for a chord, whether it's a way someone is singing something, usually the way to do it right is the easiest way anyway. So you approach it that way that basically treat them like you're putting a lot of effort in here and I appreciate that. And you can make it easier by doing it this way. That way you acknowledge mm-hmm. their effort and their strengths and redirect it toward the 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 proper way because usually that is literally what's happening anyway so like i said don't treat the mistake as a fault treat it as an action of effort and redirect it toward what the group might need and um i think that that also is for a leader you have to focus on the strengths of your team 
and nurture the weaknesses, but don't treat the weaknesses as faults. So if your team struggles a lot with the form or something like that, don't obsess over that. Instead, Mm -hmm. focus on the fact that your team is really good at dynamics or really good at groove or whatever it might be. Focus on the good things and work on the weaknesses almost secretly. Right. Because you can train people without them knowing. (laughs) Yeah, in a a way, yeah. (laughs) All right. So the the next point here is, uh, is called keep it simple. So I learned this. Kind of the hard way. I, I, that example that I showed, that I talked about earlier, uh, earlier in the episode, where I tried to play that real funky thing, and then the worship leader was like, "Hey, what are you doing? That don't don't do that." That's one way that I learned it, but I learned it another way too, and I learned this from somebody that is a pro beyond all pros. The dude makes me look like a terrible bass player in comparison, and that's Norm Stockton. Mm. Uh, I got to meet Norm Stockton when he came to Liberty and I got to play in a, I got to play for him in a little clinic he did. And I was talking to him and he was, he was sharing this story of, or sharing about when he used to play with Lincoln Brewster. So for the longest time, Lincoln Brewster and Norm Stockton toured together. They, everything that Lincoln Brewster did, Norm Stockton played on. So I don't know if you guys ever heard the song Salvation is Here. But it's probably the only worship song that I know of that has a real bass solo. Mm. And, you know, it's it's not a complicated bass solo. I'm sure Norm Stockton can play it in his sleep. I mean, it's not hard to play, but it sounds really cool. And it sounds super complicated. And he said that every time he's done with a with a show, or if, they're, if they play a set, and if they go out to meet people, if you know, he always gets questions about, you know, Man, I love the way you sound on Salvation Here. Salvation is here. That song was so great, such an awesome bass solo. How do you stand playing all the other ones where it's so simple? And his reaction, he said, is always kind of pretty much the same. Where he says, he's like, you know what? The simplicity doesn't make it bad, and the simplicity doesn't make it boring because it's not about him. It's not about what he is playing at that moment, and he. He 100% truly believes that, and he's right. It's about Mm -hmm. the song as a whole. It's about the group as a whole. It's about glorifying God, not about how many notes can he play in a short period of time. Right. And, yes, there are times, like, I I went and saw saw Rick Pino play once, and uh, he's a a pianist, and I can't remember who his guitarist is, but they did have some showmanship aspects of it where they would – they were playing back and forth. Rick Pino sang a line, his guitar player played it back to him, and they were just having fun with it. But that wasn't what the whole point of the entire show as a whole was. You know, they had that aspect in there, but it wasn't the entire thing. And they're also doing a concert where people are paying to go there. So people are going to show up to listen to him for an hour and a half or two hours. You know, you better have something. You know, he had to have something in there to break it up. He couldn't just play his typical his the normal songs the whole time he had to do something so basically that whole long story point is to say you know it's not about how fast you can play how many notes you can play in a short period of time how great you can make yourself look that does not matter it doesn't even matter in a jazz band setting you know when matt and i go out and play duo gigs i'm not trying to outplay matt because if i do what's going to happen is the wheels are going to fall off the bus we're going to crash and it's not going to go well because when at that point it's all about showmanship, about ourselves, not about the music, not about the final product. And you know, like that last episode about the last ten percent, that's all about the final product. And that's that's exactly what this is. The simplicity of a worship song is because of the goal of the final product, not because they're trying to make it so that anybody and their grandmother can play it. Mm-hmm. It's so that's why the pros don't even care. You should listen to Norm Stockton. He's got that new album coming out. It's going to be dropping pretty soon. Check it out. You'll see. That dude is a monster. He can play. Mm-hmm. Lincoln Brewster is a monster, man. He can play the guitar. But the whole point of it is the reservation that they play with is all intentional. Right. Yeah, they so. have the maturity as musicians and worship leaders. So like you said, they play with a skillful, a skillful reservation where instead of 
playing like crazy and showing off everything that they can do, they hold that back to serve the music and the song mm-hmm. and the group. So for uh, for those of us who are not playing with Norm Stockton's and Lincoln Brewster's that have that ability, and we're playing with a bunch of amateurs that are uh, volunteers or whatever, and they can't do too much and they're just learning or they have no intention of really becoming better than they are. They just do what they do and that's what they do. Then mm-hmm. if you just go out of your way to play, to be the top musician of the band and to always outplay everybody else and to use your skills to be the best musician on the stage, then you might think that that's going to make everybody around you look up to you and respect you and the audience will treat you like a star and Sure, there might be some churches out there that turn into that, which would be odd. But I tend to think that that's just breeding resentment from those that you are outplaying. Mostly because you're not giving them a chance to participate. You're just leaving them in the dust and there's nothing they can do because you are playing outside of their level. And they cannot, they can't keep up with you. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't sound good. It doesn't look good. It's obvious that you're a jerk (laughs) it it gives the wrong impression like when you go to a jazz club and there's someone up there that's playing crazy crazy stuff that it's showing off every technique in their arsenal and it gives you it gives you the goosies you get the shivers that's because not the level of skill that they are showing It's because of the heart and soul that that player is pouring into every note and their expression and how much they love their music and giving you this art and giving this gorgeous thing to you and everyone else supporting that and sharing it in their in their band in a worship context. When you just try to play to show off, that's exactly what people hear, including people around you. A lot of your attitude Mm -hmm will show in every single note that you play, like it or not. So if you're you're just in a really bad mood and grumpy and tired and you kind of just keep it chill and play, but you still have that feeling of grumpiness of I don't really want to be here, that's actually heard in your playing. It, it can be mm-hmm. funny in some context. Like sometimes like you are tired and you have the right attitude. So you have tired playing, but you have the right attitude and the right heart. So it's just funny. It makes people laugh. Like uh, I think I talked about the time last year in recitals with my students or whenever that was when I was out all night and at the emergency room and then got there the next morning and I was playing for the students in the very first recital and I was practically falling asleep as I was playing round midnight, which was ironic hmm. and it didn't sound very good, but I just kind of laughed it off and other people thought it was funny and they just felt bad that I was that exhausted. And if, that's the kind of thing that you want here is to have the right mindset in your playing and support those around you, even if they're technically, quote unquote, under you. Don't work right. on impressing the church and people around you. They're already impressed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That can, that can be very true. And, you know, remember, too, because because people worship in different ways sometimes the more complicated playing that some people do, you can just tell when, when somebody plays something real complicated, you can tell when that is out of genuine worship or when it's, or when it's self-serving. Yeah, that is, that's entirely true. Like there's, I think there's times that in my group, I probably have technically speaking outplayed people around me. Like this past Sunday, we played how great is our God. And I used the more Latin, rhythm that I learned back in freshman year of college from Mr. Spencer. That's I did the whole song based on that. And the group actually in rehearsal first, I tested the waters because I didn't actually plan on doing that. It sounded good. Everyone was really enjoying it. Technically speaking, I was outplaying the people around me. If you want to get all Mm -hmm technical about it like uh, people weren't really playing off of me 
of doing that necessarily. And it didn't change much of what the singers were doing. And I had to be very careful not to push it too far because it would confuse them. But I was still playing something more complicated than just cowboy strumming. And it worked and it was beautiful. Like when we did it in in the actual service, it really paid off and people loved it and really got into it and were worshiping and enjoying it. So that's a context of right mindset, complicated stuff still works. It's fine. It's right. all about your heart in that case. And part of this uh, remembering that people worship in different ways is a personal issue of mine because I learned uh, way back in the day that worship music doesn't necessarily make me worship because I get super distracted. And I remember uh, way back early on in my studies at Liberty that Dr. Kinchin, who I don't know what his position was at that point, but he was an up and up, um, said to the class that this program is going to ruin worship for you forever. And <laughs> we all kind of looked at each other and he's like, and I'll tell you why, because you're going to learn everything about it. And we did. I learned how everything works, how you plan a set, the organization, the planning, the rehearsals, the everything about actually playing it and keeping it simple and all these little things that then when you sit down in a worship service and you're not actually in the team, you pick apart every little thing, whether you like it or not. Just like at the more you learn about music theory and training your ear, you pick apart every little thing, whether you like it or not. And then I came to realize, and, and that's not what changed my heart for worship necessarily, but nowadays after getting really deep into jazz, I started to realize when we played with Round Jericho and um, and with each other as closed at four uh, in Virginia that that was that was my time of worshiping God with my music in a secular style of music, which was jazz. That's my personal time. So when I sit down in, in my home and I'm playing I Remember You or some standard, that's my time of worshiping God for me, of lifting my music up to him. And when I perform and things like that, that's my time for it. In the case of the worship right. music, that's my communal time of worship, not my personal time, my communal time. And a lot of trained musicians uh, try to, to force the two together, I think. So remember that when you're up there on the stage, that if you're not really feeling that this is my personal time of worship thing, well, maybe that's because you need to find your way of worship. Worship isn't always music. It really isn't. It's about glorifying God, which could be in uh, working in some charity or something like that. Uh, the, the Bible doesn't define worship as singing songs to God. That's not what it defines it as. So you need to find your own personal form of worship and realize the people around you have their own personal forms of worship. But the time the church is a communal worship, they are different. Right. That's true. That is very true. And the reason it's that I say all... that is it's not a judgmental thing. It's honestly just about for those of you that might feel down and you might feel guilt about being in a congregation right. and struggling in that time to worship because of these things, because I, I felt like the worst Christian human being on the planet because of it. And I thought that I was turning into a bad person and things like that. And then I realized, no, that's not what this is. It's that my place of worship has shifted and that's okay. That's my relationship with God. So right. figure out that your own mean, relationship with him. Right. And that doesn't mean that the communal aspect of worship is not important because it is. Of course. Yeah. Um, but do you, I mean, do you really think God is going to be offended that you didn't decide to, that you didn't sing along in church, but you decided to sing along in your car later? I mean, right. the, the biggest, I mean, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong because you took more of those classes than I did, but from what, <laughs> I, from what I remember from some of the worship classes and everything that I took was that the biggest thing about the communal worship in church is that not only is it uplifting to God, but it also is encouraging to each other. Mm -hmm. Because then you see there are other people that believe what you do and the words that you're singing are not just, they're not just for God, but they're for us too. 
and you are worshiping God through it. Don't don't misunderstand that. But you know, it's it's a good reminder to yourself and to everybody else around you that you know we're not alone in this. It's a community thing, and it's literally the same as every other context where everyone is just singing together. It's it creates right. the same kind of effect. This case. It's that you are in a community of Christians that share the same beliefs, that want to worship God together. Maybe in another context, it's uh, you are in an African tribe sitting down and everyone's hitting drums together and singing and dancing and enjoying community in that in that regard. It's the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that leads us into our next... Well, actually, it doesn't lead us into that at all because this is going to be a big old shift and I think that this one is super important and it's not to take things personally. And what, what this is, is this is the hardest part. This is, this one's a toughie just because for one thing, it, it's pretty situational. You might not be struggling with this. You might be, but in a lot of cases I've noticed for me and uh, for other trained musicians is as soon as you are on a worship team, or, um, or you know, trying to get into one or something like that, people underestimate you and assume that you are an amateur volunteer. That's that's for for whatever reason that is the mental context of uh, a lot of worship leaders. They expect that you don't know much about music at all, and that's why you're interested. Or I I don't know. There seems to be that kind of an atmosphere. And um, I remember Mr. Spencer telling me the reason that he doesn't, uh, well, he told me several stories, but the reason he doesn't play in worship teams anymore is, is, well, he does rarely. But the last time that he tried, he went in and they told him that they audition people that, that play on the team. And he said, okay. And he came out, he arrived a little early and they were extremely rude to him. And acted like he didn't know what he was doing. They didn't even ask him his background at all. They would have been able to tell, he would have been able to tell them that he teaches at Liberty and given them who he is. And they probably wouldn't have been that offensive. They were just treating him like some old fogey that doesn't know anything. And without sheet music in front of him, he played the songs that they asked for and they were all about it. And that really did hurt his feelings and was very discouraging. And he had no interest in actually playing there. And that's an extreme case of uh, a worship team or the congregation uh, underestimating you and your music and the musicians. Um, But you might encounter little instances where that's a thing. And I certainly do Mm that you are playing simple music and you aren't playing your uh, your expertise and you're not showing off and things like that. So people kind of assume that this is what you do. This is how you play. And so people might talk to you and if they say things that feel like they are assuming that you are not good as a musician, that you're a beginner, that you don't, that like, hey, you seem like you're getting better, something like that, whatever. Try not to get offended. I would say to take it as a compliment because that means you are properly playing simply. (laughs) (laughs) You are doing it right because you are not overplaying people. You are playing within the context properly. And that's a positive way to think about it when you get people that pretty much challenge who you are. And then you have that, that, desire to be like, all right, I'm going to call up my band. I'm going to show you what I can really do. And I'm going to bring your house down because that's what you feel like. Like you've worked long, you've worked hard. You've been at this over a decade. You can play the daylights out of anything put in front of you. And then someone treats you like you just picked up your instrument. You want to punch them in the face. Like this is who you are. You are an, a musician and People talking down to you that are technically way below you and know nothing of you and where you come from and your level of play and they can't play crap in the first place, it can really get to you and really offend you. And that's just not the right mindset to have. It really isn't. But um, I can understand in Mr. Spencer's case where he wouldn't want to play for those people because they were truly rude. So in that case, 
he had the right mindset of, I'm going to show you what I can do (laughs) and give them a lesson because they were being rude to not just him, but anybody, if that's how they're treating people. So that's a different situation where you handle it in that way. And he kind of laid the rebuke down on them. And that was the right thing to do, in my opinion. But in most cases, I think that it's much, it doesn't come from a place of judging you or uh, truly meaning to underestimate you or tell you that you don't know what you're doing. It really is that they just don't know you. That's it. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. I mean, you just don't know what you're, where you come from and it's not their fault. It's just the way it is sometimes, you know? Yeah. And, and, and then if somebody also corrects you, like what, how I was corrected when told, you know, Hey, you're playing too much. You need to tone it down a little bit. Don't get offended by that. Like I did. I mean, I was a stupid kid at the time. And looking back on it, it wouldn't have offended me today. I would have been like, oops. Yeah, I probably wasn't thinking, was I? But Yeah. yeah. I get told I mean, that all the time in, in rehearsals. Like, we'll just, you know, we'll be playing something again at the end of rehearsal when there's extra time. And I just have a little bit of fun with it. And then sometimes <laughs> they'll be like, you're not going to actually play it that way. I'll be like, no, no, I'm not. Like, I'll no, start playing yeah. something as a reggae just to be silly. And then I just kind of comfort them that, no, I, I'm not changing to playing it that way. Don't worry. I'm not really going to do that. Or I start to, like, solo while they're playing through something at the end. And not as, like, the whole group. Like, there's just a couple of us that are going over right. little things. And I'm just being silly and just having fun. Because we are already confirmed. We know what we're doing. We're fine. And now we're just having a bit of fun. And then that's the time that if people say something like, uh, are you really going to do that? Don't expect that, or uh, don't assume that what they're saying is that sounded bad. Like, why are you doing that? I hate that. Yeah, they're they're saying, uh, I don't know if I can keep up with that, or it's someone that is genuinely worried that you're trying to show off or something, and maybe they don't know you that well. Whatever. There's there's all sorts of things that basically comes down to just be patient, right? Just or they're be just friendly. thinking. It's stylistically really wrong. Let's not mess that up. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, said person could just know that you're not going to do that and just appreciate it and have fun. But, you know, sometimes we get a little excited inside of the rehearsal and do something a little too much and we need to tone it back. And they tell us that. And we say, okay, that's all. It's the same yeah. as if you're in a big band and you play the solo and you got way into it and they're like, um, I don't really want to bring the whole band up to where you're playing. Could you tone it down? We want to keep this one a little darker, a little more mellow. And then you say, okay, okay, director, I do yep, what you, you say. Move on with your life. <laughs> because it's the conductor and what they say goes. And it's the same thing here. Uh, even... and. Uh, if you're the leader, then you still need to be conscientious of that. And it's your responsibility to be aware of these things um, and to realize what your responsibilities are and what you've committed to. So you might be a worship leader that can really play. Like we said, like Chris Tomlin, like you might be able to play way beyond what you ever really do and Mm -hmm. try not to let that get you down. Like, I think that it's very important that if you have those that that expertise of what you do on the side, that you find some solace in playing that. Find a way to play in that. But make sure it's in the proper place that you let let yourself get that stress out. Like don't just shut down that because now you're a worship leader. So I don't play I, I don't play concert pianist stuff anymore. Now I just play hymns. That's all I play. I could play Beethoven's this this or that, this or that, but I'm not going to do that anymore. And then over time you resent yourself and feel like you let yourself down or something. Don't do that to yourself. Let yourself right. find the outlets to play what you need to play and then remember that this is a worship setting. Exactly. Exactly. And that brings us to the final point of all this. And this is really what the whole point of any worship team setting is. And that's to remember, it's not about the music. It's not about you. It's not about your bandmates. It's not about the people in the congregation getting to listen to what amazing thing might happen next. It's not even about the pastor, but it's all about glorifying God. 
And that is, uh, if you keep that first and you remember that, everything else kind of takes care of itself. Mm-hmm. That's the straightforward, simplest answer we can give you. Out of all eight of these, if you remember that, you'll do pretty well. Mm-hmm. That is not just really in worship team settings need. too. Yep, that's, that's true. Really, not, all you need to do on that. Not not even just in this. Like like I said, my time of personal worship is when I get to play jazz. That is mm-hmm. when I feel closest to God. When my spirit feels most charged is when I get to sit down and play jazz by myself. Play it with other people. It is what blesses me the most and what brings me closest to Him. And that's what. That is where I glorify God. It's not even really about the jazz to me at that point. It's about him exactly. when I'm playing some song about, uh, oh, what's that one that's really, uh, oh, I don't remember. But there's one song that has something about a light, something about a light. Come on, help me out here. I can't remember. I know that it's one that Andy didn't want to actually sing because it gets a bit... Uh, Frisky. <laughs> uh, I don't remember it. Doggone it. It's something, something to do with light. Anyway, it, the point is is that it, jazz is a secular style, and that's where I find my time. And you can find it in your own stuff. Like maybe you're a heavy metal player. <laughs> maybe you play some August Burns Red kind of stuff where it is uh, what your grandma says is the devil's music. And, well, in reality, it's actually where you worship God. Cool. Right. Yeah, exactly. There's no wrong way to do it. I mean, Scripture just talks about bringing a new song. It doesn't say it has to be a certain genre or a certain style. So. You could play right, some guys, squee. Well, thank you for, uh, yes, yeah, squee. <laughs> well, thank you guys for listening to uh, this episode. Hopefully this was very helpful to you. Do you have any I know recommendations? Any recommendations? Oh, man. Well, I guess you did um, talk about Norm Stockton, although you might have recommended him before. <laughs> I've, I mean, I've talked about Norm Stockton a bunch of times. I feel like for the context of this episode, um, the, norm, the stuff that Norm Stockton and Lincoln Brewster did together. Mm-hmm. So stuff like the song Salvation is here from that uh, record. I don't remember what uh, record that is. Let me look it up real quick. Um, stuff like that is just it's really good. It's very, for the context of this that we're talking about, it's great. It'll give you all you need to know. Or like just listen to Norm Stockton just talk about his experiences with that. Mm. Because he's got some stuff that you can find on YouTube of him talking. And he he discusses kind of his opinions and how he felt about some of that stuff in some of his clinics. So, uh, Salvation is here. That album, that Lincoln Brewster album, is called "Today Is the Day." Yeah. So that whole album, you got some of the some amazing musicians on that album, and you know, if you don't believe me, just check it out. And if you still don't believe me after that, keep digging. You'll find some amazing stuff that they've done. Mm. What about you? I would recommend the last album by David Crowder Band before they disbanded. Um, it's called Give Us Rest or Requiem Mass in C. I was going to recommend Amberlynn, but I'll talk about them another time. The David Crowder band really does worship music and they, um, I think really what they wanted to do was approach it in a unique and creative way of arranging. At least that's what it came off to me as, is that it was almost an, an experimental worship band. Um, mm-hmm as much as their music ended up being played in worship services, the way that they recorded it and produced it, it definitely seemed like they were trying to do new things and uh, take inspirations in different ways and do things in ways you wouldn't expect. So I would recommend that final album. There's a lot of stuff there and it's just, it's a good one to just put on and listen to and hear some interesting ways of playing worship music that, you might not really expect to hear from like a Tomlin style album. Right. Okay, cool. I'll have to listen. I have not listened to that one, so I'll have to check that out. Some fun stuff on there. Different styles too. They, they go different ways. Right. Okay. I'll have to check that one out. 
All right, guys. Well, thank you so much again for listening to us. I know that we say that every week, but we really do mean it. And again, please share, like, comment, subscribe. Let us know what you think on uh, on iTunes. Leave us a review. I know iTunes is going away, so that'll be interesting. So on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review or Spotify or wherever it is that you listen because those reviews really do help get our name out there so more people can hear our hear our content that we have to deliver. And remember, again, this podcast is sponsored by you, so check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash basics. We are still running that promotion through June 30th, so you still have a little bit of time left to uh, sign up and pledge to be a patron and to be able to get that uh, get the new custom guitar pick with the new JTB logo on there. So if you like the show, please check it out. Anyways, we'll see you guys next week. See you later. Mm-hmm.